Reclaiming Identity, sharing stories of struggle, pride, and redemption in reconnecting with our heritage. Hi, I'm Drora. And I'm Dahlia. And we're bringing you Reclaiming Identity as part of the ASF Institute of Jewish Experience. Do you feel a part of the Jewish story? Is your family what pops up when people think of Jews? At Reclaiming Identity, we celebrate and explore the greater Jewish experience. We encourage you to tell your story and take pride in your heritage as it is a part of your identity. Listen to other people's stories, ask questions, be curious, and reclaim your identity. Today we're quite honored to welcome Mr. Donny Hakim, a two-time world karate silver medalist and holds a seventh degree black belt from Japan. He is the founder of Budo for Peace and chairman of Sport for Social Change, as well as Israel Lifesaving Federation. He is a board member of the Azrieli Foundation and the Alliance of Middle East Peace. Here, he will talk to us about how, when, and why he reclaimed his Egyptian heritage. My name is Danny Hakim. On the passport, it's actually Daniel Ange Hakim. Ange is the angel in French. My parents are from Egypt. I'm born in Australia, in Adelaide, which is a very small Jewish community, and most of them were Egyptian Jews after they landed in 1956. I was born there, and then I lived in Sydney most of my life. My father's from Cairo. My mother's from Alexandria. My father's father is actually from Tzfat, and he moved from Tzfat to Egypt. When did he move? Oh, the turn of the century. I don't know exactly when. But uh, his father was the chief rabbi of Tzfat, and his father also uh, was the chief rabbi of Tzfat. And before that, well, they were in Izmir. And actually, there was a controversy where he, uh, my ancestor, wanted the Jewish girl only to teach Hebrew, and the community wanted also other languages. And in a way, you know, they didn't agree and he left and moved to Sat. So that's my father's side. My mother's side, my grandmother and grandfather also born in Egypt. But before that, it was Odessa. My mother's Cohen and her maiden name was Lazarevich. So most of the Jews in, uh, I know, in Alexandria were Ashkenazi Jews mm. that came from Russia and, and those areas. And in Cairo, they were mainly from Israel, Palestine then, or from Turkey, or Sephardi. My father was very Sephardi and loved Arabic. He worked in the stock exchange there and sold Studebakers to King Farouk. And uh, he was the last Jew in the stock exchange before they closed it down because he loved Arabic and got on very well. So my father's side, when I grew up, I was exposed to a lot of the uh, Egyptian and Arabic culture. And my mother's side, didn't really like saying that she was from Egypt. She always said she was from France and she was more European, although she was born in Egypt. So I grew up with the two dynamics of the Sephardi and Ashkenazi from Egypt in Australia. So is that where the French name is from? from your mother? Yes, my grandfather's name was Ange and I'm named after him. And we recently found his grave in Alexandria. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'm named after him. Did your mother speak of Alexandria when you were younger? Or were the stories of Egypt um, solely from your father? No, my mother had fond memories of Alexandria. I mean, it was on the beach. It was very cosmopolitan. They used to have you know, beach parties. And yeah, she talked very positive about it. 
until the end, where you know where the Arab community went against the Jews, and she had a bad experience. Doesn't like talking about that experience. And my father was positive, even though they were kicked out of Egypt. He still loved the fact that even when when they moved to Australia, there was a small Jewish. Egyptian community that spoke French, and my father was very involved there. And he used to always—he was very known for his jokes, and his jokes were always in French, but the punchline was always in Arabic. Mm. <laughs> and he'd always laugh before the punchline, so you knew when to laugh. That small Jewish Egyptian community I had exposure to, even though I was growing up in Sydney, in a very Ashkenazi, mainly Hungarian Jewish community. Did you feel that there were things that you were doing at home or things that you were doing in that community that wasn't connected to the Ashkenazi community? Did you feel a disconnect or did you feel like it was all together, one big Jewish community in Australia? Well, um, still in truth, uh, because I was Egyptian Jewish, it was a cool thing to be, really, compared to everybody else who were either a Polish Jew or Hungarian Jew. And when uh, you know the Jewish girl said, oh, you're from parents from Egypt. It was something cool, it was something different. So I wouldn't say disconnect, but definitely there was an influence because there were very few Egyptian Jews in Sydney. There was only one Sephardi synagogue and that was run mainly by Indian Jews. So, and the Egyptian Jews would come and culturally they're very different. Mm -hmm. um, but there was only one synagogue. And, but I went to an Ashkenazi synagogue. Mm -hmm. So I really grew up as an Ashkenazi. Aside from the language, which did you grow up um, speaking French or Arabic? I grew up speaking English, understanding French. Mm -hmm. So in the home, my first language that I listened to was French. My parents only spoke French. Mm -hmm. When they didn't want us to understand, they spoke in Arabic. So I grew up understanding French fluently. And then after learning, but my first language was English, second was French. And uh, when I had my non-Jewish friends come over and my parents speak to me in French, it was quite weird for them. And when I said uh, they're from Egypt, it made it even more weird. Uh -huh. <laughs> were, there, were there other things at home they remember that were either weird to your friends or weird to you that were different, that was like maybe music they were listening to or customs related to holidays or things like that? Um, definitely the food. I'm a Molochaya Olik which means I, Molochaya is the Egyptian soup mm -hmm. that we were brought up on and it's very Egyptian, peasant Egyptian, but we grew up on that and I love it till this day. And whenever I meet Egyptian or other Arabs, I ask them if they make Molochaya and they invite me and I come. So the food, yes, when it came to festivals, we had Egyptian food, mm -hmm. Egyptian Jewish cuisine even or Pesach, or breaking the fast, Yom Kippur. It was very specific. And, um, Can you give some examples of those foods? Well, uh, for instance, Rosh Hashanah, okay? Uh, they would make, uh, I don't know how you call it, it's like a bureka, mm -hmm. right? The cheese with uh, phyllo on it, and all the girls would, uh, my sister as well, would be part of making this before, um, the festival, mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't gefilte fish, although... Was that something you ate at your friend's house? That's something that I ate at the synagogue, I loved it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah there was, uh, you know, some busek, there's all these different Egyptian food that I grew up on and love it till this day. Was there a difference in um, 
your mother's cooking than your father's cooking or based on Alexandria Cairo or? No, I think it, I think it's the same. Mm-hmm. Or that's how it's sure. in your home. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Did you say, did you go to a Jewish school or were you, was there somewhere where you learned about the Jewish story? I didn't go to a Jewish school. I went to a very Australian school mm-hmm. by the beach where everybody went surfing and if there was good surf, very few people went to school, <laughs> including the teachers. <laughs> So you couldn't get in trouble because they were also catching waves. So that was Marupa Bay was the school uh, I went to. And I got into rugby and a lot of the sports. That's what was important there. I uh, went to Beitar Youth Movement when I was eight years old and grew up as a Hanich, then Madrich, and then Mepaket. So everything I learned really was about Zionism, Judaism. Mm-hmm. Jabotinsky was my man my mentor, and uh, that was really um, my direction. But when it came to my Bagat sir, you know, I went to the Ashkenazi synagogue and uh, I learned there. Was there maybe a direction that your parents wanted you to go in with your Sephardi, or your father at least with your Sephardi identity, or was it you were part of the Ashkenazi community, so it was assumed that you were gonna be bar mitzvah in the Ashkenazi synagogue? Yeah, I was, yeah, like I said, the one Sephardi synagogue, uh, there was only one. I didn't know the service, and it was far from where I was living. My father was very traditional. He would go to synagogue on Friday night, and um, he'd go from work, and we'd always come late. So, you know, the, the part, the chadodi, when you turn around to the door, uh. you know, we would always show up with the, at the door, <laughs> embarrassed. But, <laughs> um, but no, he was very traditional, but he worked on Saturday at a camping store and that was the best day for sales. So we grew up very traditional. We had the Shabbat dinner. Uh, initially we weren't kosher and then we had the neighbors that were kosher and then we became kosher. So I grew up very much as a, one of the Ashkenazi boys with a strange name, Hakim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not Hakimiski or something like mm-hmm. that. Really, it was only at home where I learned about the tradition and the heritage of Egyptian Jewry. Mm-hmm. And also meeting other Egyptian Australian Jews, because the parents, when I say community, they were, they were just a community where they would play cards together and go out together, and it was that type of community. It wasn't like they met at a synagogue or anything like that. So and we became friends with neighbors who were also from Egyptian Jewish background. Mm-hmm. Did they all come to Australia at the same time? Or were there some there from before and just Egyptians find each other? Um, most of them came around 1956 during the Sinai campaign. As a few came before, but the majority came in 1956. So a lot of them knew each other on the boat that came over. And when they most of them lived in Adelaide, then they moved to Melbourne and Sydney. They still kept in touch. And we would know the kids because their parents were friends from Egypt. Do you, do you want to explain a little bit about the boat that you just mentioned? And did you hear about the, the, the process of coming from Egypt to Australia from your parents? My mother came to Australia before 56. There was actually, my, my grandfather died, Amish died, and my grandmother didn't know what to do. And, uh, you know, single mother with three kids. And then my uh, aunt married an Italian who had family in Australia. And that was a good reason to come to Australia. So my mother, who had met my father in Egypt, 
and fell in love then, went to Australia, corresponded for a few years and decided to come back to Egypt. So she caught the boat back, mm. met, met him and married in Egypt. And then in 1956, actually my brother, I had a brother that was born in Cairo. And then I think it was the end of 56 or beginning of 57, they all left and came to Australia. Mm -hmm. Also my father had a sister who married a British officer who had access to move to Australia. So on both sides, we had family. Mm -hmm. And so my parents with my older brother came to Australia in 1956. And I was born in Adelaide after the boat uh, arrived uh, in 1959. As part of your involvement with Beitar, there was talk about Zionism and, and the Jews, the Jewish community as a whole. Mm. Did you ever hear about Egyptian Jews come up in there or other Mizrahi Jews? as part of the conversation of what the diaspora looked like and what Zionism does for the diaspora? Actually, no. Um, you know, uh, Beitar really was, uh, when you think about it, Jabotinsky and Menachem Begin, it was all about Ashkenazi Jews and Ashkenazi Jewish history. And the diaspora was Ashkenazi and anti-Semitism was all about Europe until uh, we learned about Eli Cohen. Mm -hmm. Funny. You know, uh, the story of my mother actually dated Ellie Cohen. Wow. She had two dates with him, wow. yes. And she said he was very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't seem so bright. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so, you know, I heard about Ellie Cohen and also Eliyahu Hakim and Eliyahu Bensuri. They were a part of the uh, Stern Gang. And so, hearing about the Jewish, the Israel history. That's where I started understanding that there were more, there's a whole a segment of Jews that came from Arab lands, mm -hmm. you know. So hearing that they were also part of the resistance and fighting for Israel made me proud. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just, you know, Menachem Begin and the, the Ashkenazis that were fighting to have the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. So that was something that you found out during during your involvement, like during high school or... In Beitar? Yeah. Yes, during high school. So so you felt that that was connected to your identity somehow? That's how you found yourself in Beitar? Or anyway, you were you felt you were part of the, the Jewish story without Eli Cohen or without Eli Alpha? Where I grew up in Sydney, there were not many Jews. And Beitar youth movement went to places where there were fewer Jews. Mm -hmm. So I was exposed to Beitar only because of where I was located. Mm -hmm. The package in Beitar was about anti-Semitism. It's about Herzl, the Dreyfus case. This is what I learned. And I did feel part of that, uh, that story. You know, when you think about it, in the Zionist Congress, you know, how many were Jews from Arab countries? I don't know, even now interesting to know but when you look at the pictures they came from all European countries but I grew up thinking yes I was a, a Jew happened to be my parents from Egypt uh, but part of the Jewish story and I also have an aunt that moved to Israel from Egypt so I think yeah they were they were very Zionist and decided to move to Israel mm -hmm. instead of France or America or Australia mm -hmm. so having a personal connection also made a difference. Was there 
a point you'd say that you felt like the Egyptian part of you that was in the home or that was cool but wasn't part of the conversation? Did you was there a point where you felt that it was like part of a bigger conversation or where you felt like yourself your identity was coming? I mean socially with socially or in um in decisions that you were life decisions you were making or things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I don't think that the Egyptian part of me had a more significant role in my decisions than I was Jewish and mm -hmm. those decisions. Because you know, going to a non-Jewish school, it didn't matter if you were from Sephardi or Ashkenazi, you were Jewish, you were different. And there was uh, racism because you were Jewish. Uh, you know, it's hard to understand Egypt speaking French, living in Australia, you know, for, as far as they're concerned, Jews are Jews from Europe. And um, so, no, it didn't really make a, a difference. Although, um, later on when I represented Australia in sport, you know, I was very proud to represent Australia, but I was also proud that I was repping, representing my Jewish community and also proud that I was representing the smaller Jewish Egyptian community. So I was a minority in a minority of a minority, and I did feel that. In which sport did you represent? I, I was on the Australian karate team for many years and quite interesting why karate because it wasn't a Jewish sport. It was my grandmother from Egypt who for my bar mitzvah gave me a present which was one year subscription to a karate club mm -hmm. and she thought you know if I'm going to do a sport I might as well do a sport that would come in handy because she knew about the and experienced the pogroms and that was my story is my grandmother because of her experience and then uh, I did karate and I was doing and I have this whole world of my Australian karate mates my Beitar uh, group and it was two worlds and later on I was pretty good and then I represented Australia for many years mm -hmm. and in the Australian team, like in the American team, you know, there were Armenian Australians and uh, Lebanese Australians, and I was the token Jew in the Australian team for many years. And I became very good friends with them, having that common platform of doing karate together. Mm -hmm. So, and they knew that I was this strange Jew with some Egyptian background. So it does, it did play. Uh, and, and actually when we, competed with uh, Arab countries. We talk about Molochea and the food mm. and the Australians on the team thought, wow, now how is this guy interacting so well and connecting with these people? And it was through the food. So I want to skip ahead to when you come to Israel. Yeah. And basically, you're not a minority Jew, um, mm. but how, so then in that case, how did your identity sort of play into being an Egyptian Jew in, in Israel? And also maybe how you got to Israel. So I was 18 years old, just turned 18. I got my black belt mm -hmm. and then uh, came representing uh, Beitar Youth Movement on a one-year program called Machon Matruchei Chutzlaretz, which is the Institute for Youth Leaders from Abroad. So it was youth leaders from the different Zionist organizations, many Ashkenazi uh, youth leaders and a few Sephardi youth leaders. But I felt Australian. You know, I'm in Israel, I'm an Australian first. So I think the Egyptian part wasn't that influential. It was, although, um, you know, I had to learn Hebrew 
and, and as I didn't go to Jewish school, I had to learn from scratch at 18. And uh, what was interesting, I would learn from my family here that would speak French and Hebrew. So my Hebrew uh, actually has a French accent oh, to it. <laughs> and people say, oh, you're from France. I'm going, no, I'm from Australia, but you know, it's complicated. <laughs> But yeah, my, uh, having that French-Egyptian influence uh, on my Hebrew, it did happen. I came in 1977, which is a very significant year. I only realized years later, actually, you know, I was living many years in Japan. And then I realized, you know, my calling in 1977, it was the year that Menachem Begin came to power. And here I am representing Beitar. He's my guy. First time, first time it was a, a Beitari, and he's also, most of the people voted for him were the Sephardi community. And it was the same year that Amr Sadat came to Israel to make peace. My man from Egypt. Mm -hmm. So having those two major historic influences, the year that I was in Israel uh, at 18 uh, had an impact. It was a turning point, which I didn't realize. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is bringing Jews and Arabs and even Haredi kids together using sport as a platform. Connected to your karate also. Connected to my karate, yeah. As you've been living in Israel, are you, do you still feel like you're the Australian? I do still feel I'm Australian, yes. Even though you have the French accent from the Egyptian side. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, uh, and Israelis think that I'm French, but uh, I live in Ranana. But you know, living in Ranana, I'm not South African, I'm not American, mm -hmm. I'm not English, I'm Australian. <laughs> so, so is there a point in which you decided to claim or reclaim your Egyptian heritage? Yes, well, you know, I came here single as an Egyptian-Australian Jew, actually a, a refugee Palestinian refugee from Sfat. If you want to look at it that way, I can. Because when we talk about, you know, Palestinians, second generation, wanting to reclaim and come back to Israel, my grandfather was a Palestinian and he moved to Egypt. And then here I am as a Palestinian Jewish refugee. Actually, Palestinian Jewish Arab refugee. And, and I married a Canadian, Ashkenazi Canadian. So I, my children are Canadian, Australian and Israeli. And there was a point where I brought some Molochea from my Bedouin friend's home and my daughters didn't know what was Molochea. And I thought, I don't believe it. I grew up on this. It's in my blood. I loved it. And they didn't know what it was. And I thought, wow, these are my kids. They need to know more about my Egyptian heritage. And that was a turning point. And what, what did it um, lead you to do? Was there something that you did with that turning point? Yes, there were projects. Well, I wanted my kids to know more about my heritage. My mother didn't talk that much about her Egyptian heritage because as far as she was concerned, she was more French and European. And I started seeing what they learned at school. They didn't learn anything about Jews that came from Arab lands. And I thought, there's something wrong here. Why in Israel, when more than 50% of the Jews come from Arab lands, why isn't it in their education system? It's all about the Ashkenazi community and the Holocaust, which is important, but yeah. So um, at the time, my kids were 10 and 11. Now they are 15 and 16. And still, you know, um, looking at what they're learning, there's very little about 
their heritage. And uh, so I started inquiring about this and uh, came across some people that are wanting to make a heritage center in Jerusalem. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, I want to be involved in this because it's important to me. And I started reading more about so many books about Jews from Arab countries. And uh, I want my kids to learn about their heritage. And the Molochea. And the Molochea, uh, yeah. Do, do you cook it at home? Or? I don't. I have an Ashkenazi Polish uh, wife. <laughs> but we do visit our uh, Bedouin friends and mm-hmm. my kids like it, mm-hmm. which is really good. <laughs> Very important, yeah. And their cousins, you know. My, my sister who lives in Australia, my older brother lives in Australia, have kids. You know, the brother here, all their cousins, you know, have the same heritage. Mm-hmm. And my brothers and my sisters want them to also have this heritage. So amongst the cousins, they have this in common that they are of uh, Egyptian extract. Although one brother married an Argentinian, Ashkenazi, another married a uh, Australian Ashkenazi. But our kids are both, and they're insisting that they know more about their Egyptian heritage. If there's something that you could say to your younger self, what would it be? My younger self, when I was a kid. No, what I can say is that, um, you know, like I said, in Australia, it was cool to be Egyptian, Jew. Mm-hmm. It's different. When I came to Israel, it wasn't so cool. <laughs> so that's what my wife told me. And I'm like walking around now, I'm Egyptian, <laughs> you know? And she goes, so what? <laughs> no. So uh, she liked I was Australian, that was the thing. And she, yeah, they actually had a different impression. Egyptian, it's Sephardi, it's not as educated as, uh, as Ashkenazi, but uh, I proved her wrong. <laughs> <laughs> when you met your wife, what, yeah. what was the connection with her family? So you know, my wife's family are Holocaust survivors and, um, and Canadian. And the fact that I was Australian part of the Commonwealth, uh, English speaking was important. They could identify with that. The Egyptian part, I don't know if they really took that into account. I mean, there are Egyptian Jews in Montreal that are well-to-do. So I think that they had a good impression mm-hmm. of uh, Egyptian Jews. But I think it was more the fact that I was Australian. and. I was wanting to live in Israel. It was the Zionist uh, aspect and, and being a traditional Jew, you know, and the important values, that's what was important for them. Mm-hmm. And could it also be because you weren't necessarily flaunting your Egyptian part? Because if you said that you're, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but if your kids weren't yeah. necessarily connected to that heritage, was that um, something maybe that was more comfortable for them um, as part of as part of your entry into the family and then later on your kid kind of lost part of the, the heritage or weren't, um, didn't know what Mokhaya was. Or... <laughs> About my kids, it's very interesting, this generation, because they're Israeli and I think being in Israel is, you don't really think as much of your Egyptian heritage or your, even your Australian heritage, you're Israeli and uh, it's really quite a, a salad here of uh, Jewish identity and I think my kids think they're first Israeli and second Australian and Canadian or Anglo and they don't think about their Egyptian heritage in the same way they don't think of their Polish heritage 
they just think they're Israeli. It's uh, very important to bring this up because uh, when you look at the tree, a genealogical tree, it's, it's clear where they come from. And um, to this generation in Israel, it's not that important. And I think for all kids. So, you know, my cousin, my nephew and nieces that are born in Australia and grew up in Australia, the Egyptian, you know, they're much more Australian Jew than when I grew up, because my parents were from the generation of Egyptian Jew. Mm -hmm. So we're losing it in Israel and in the diaspora. And that's a real shame because it's a very rich heritage. And um, hopefully with the Abraham Accords, this heritage uh, will be highlighted more because, because it's important. Is there something you would say to future generations? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very important that they know the heritage. You know, when they do their, do their roots project at school, Shorashim. Mm -hmm. When they decide if they're going to do their grandfather from the Egyptian side or their grandfather from their Polish side, it's important that they do that project. That's why it's important to have a museum or a heritage center to make it easier for them, first of all, to research about themselves, but also to have pride in that heritage. And I think that's important. Everybody, when you talk about identity, okay, you want your kids to grow up to be proud of themselves and confident and uh, and I think having a clear understanding of where they come from, their parents, their grandparents, really instills self-confidence. If they research and they understand the richness of their heritage mm -hmm. and it flows through to them and they will feel proud as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's I it. That was a very strong ending. That was actually <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Reclaiming Identity is produced and edited by Moshe Singer and executive produced by Dalia Arusi and Drora Arusi. Our theme music is by Vanessa Paloma. Be sure to check her out on Spotify. Be a part of the reclamation. Subscribe to the Reclaiming Identity podcast on our website, instituteofjewishexperience.org, on our Facebook page, Spotify, or Apple Music. Follow our programs on our website and the Institute of Jewish Experience channel on YouTube. And please help support these and other ASF Institute of Jewish Experience efforts by donating today.